The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. According to the FamilyInternational.org, the website for the latest incarnation of the Children of God cult, the Family International is an online Christian community of individuals committed to sharing the message of God's love with people around the globe. Founded in California during the late 1960s, the Family International has expanded into an international network with members currently in over 80 countries. TFI is a network of globally-minded, locally-focused individuals. We are committed to bettering our world through empowering people to develop a personal relationship with God who can in turn affect change in their part of the world. Members of TFI have been active in mission and charitable work in 95 countries for over four decades. Well, according to my research, the research of my team, and according to the information presented in a variety of documentaries, investigative journalism articles, and the testimony of numerous former members, the Children of God historically has been mostly committed to misogyny, coerced prostitution, and kid-fucking. Seriously. Family International, a.k.a. the Children of God, does seem to have been committed to sharing the message of God's love. It's just that their interpretation has been, well, wildly, radically different from most other Christian churches. Pedophile, overall sex fiend founder and former leader David Berg taught both male and female members to think about having sex with Jesus when they masturbated. But he was also against male homosexual sex. How does that work? Well, David taught male members that when a man masturbates and is having fantasy sex with Jesus, like a good Christian, he pretends to be a woman. Makes sense? Sound like some solid, traditional Christian dogma? Uh, If so, you might want to sign up. I'm sure they'll be happy to have you. They're still around. David also taught women followers that turning down male church members' sexual advances, whether they were wanted or not, was sinful. So, also, uh, pro-rape. Uh, David ended marriages as he saw fit, assigned new marriages, and encouraged female members to literally prostitute themselves to both entice new male members and also raise money for his church. He broke up families, scattered the splintered remains to various corners of the globe. His own daughters would even claim that he made sexual advances towards them. 
David openly advocated incest, writing in one newsletter uh, I read uh, that said, who better to teach you about love than your parents? Love in this case, meaning sex. Feel sick to your stomach? Maybe just vomited into your mouth a little bit? Congrats, you're one of the good ones. According to Family International, a.k.a. the Children of God's website, as a community of faith, the Family International is committed to promoting the well-being of children and their need for quality care, education, and supervision. We promote the importance of children's development in a healthy, happy, loving, safe, caring environment where their needs, physical, spiritual, intellectual, educational, and emotional, are amply met. Yeah, amply met indeed. Uh, former members state that children were routinely molested by church members. Founder David Berg teaching that children should be allowed to express their sexuality as it was a testament to God's love. Children were also at various periods in the church's history forbidden from basic education, taught that education was pointless as the world was for sure ending soon and worldly skills would be useless. David Berg, for the majority of his leadership, taught all of these important biblical messages and more via letters he sent from wherever he was currently hiding from angry parents and governmental uh, investigations. One of his letters is called The Little Girl Dream. It describes an alleged religious vision sent directly from God to David. Uh, David experienced it as a dream, a dream where he was having sex with a young girl and initially feeling guilty about it, but then realized that the little girl enjoys it. So why should he feel bad? He wrote, I was afraid to give it to her because of what people, systemite church people, obviously would say. This, of course, our greatest risk, incurring the wrath of the church and system and loving this new little church that's springing up with such fervor. It was almost like she was deliberately trying to get me to make love to her so she could bear fruit. And this dude teaching these things started a very successful cult in 1968 that survives to this day. David Burke was an aggressively active pedophile who raped and molested who knows how many members. Luckily, he's long dead. Sadly, he lived a long, seemingly happy life before he died. If only he could have suffered a violent lawnmower accident as a teen and bled out through the hole under his penis where his balls used to be. Berg was never caught by authorities. He died long before the Me Too movement. He hid long enough, moved from country to country often enough to avoid prosecution or even legal charges. But he was guilty. Look into this tale at all, and there is zero question that this delusional, destructive, manipulative, predatory dirtbag was guilty. So is the Family International still an organization based in manipulation, exploitation, and pedophilia? Possibly. But there are no recent headlines to attest to this. Maybe they're just doing a good job of, of keeping their current deplorable teachings hidden. Despite no current allegations, at least not publicly, I know I sure as shit would not trust a member to babysit my kids. Why do they still exist? Why would you keep an organization founded in sexual exploitation alive at all? Name change or not? Well, because maybe they're secretly up to the same old creepy shit. Maybe because religion and reason don't have to be roommates. The gap between the two can be as wide as anyone wishes them to be. And also maybe because brainwashing is a very real and powerful phenomenon. Current leaders actually deny the well-documented pedophilia and sexual exploitation of the church's past. As if none of it ever happened, they do believe that David Berg founded their church. They do believe David Berg defined their core beliefs. They do believe that God spoke through David Berg. They still read Berg's teachings. And his teachings are riddled with sexual perverse messages. But they pretend not to believe he meant them as, they wrote, as he wrote them, I guess. So how does some creepy wizard-looking Gandalf beard-having sex maniac launch a church that would create over 100 different active orgy-having compounds in over 40 countries around the world. Find out today in a full cult, full crazy, 
Careful Who You Choose to Worship edition of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, Time Suckers. Hail Nimrod. Dan Cummins, a.k.a. the Master Sucker, and you are listening to Time Suck. Welcome back to the only acceptable cult to be a member of in the world. A cult where the leader is not trying to screw you, or more importantly, trying to screw your kids. It's the cult of the curious. Recording in the Idaho Suck Dungeon, uh, even though when this releases, I'll be in sunny SoCal performing in Hollywood and then Oxnard. Life is good. Excited to do uh, more of what I love. Get out there and do some comedy. Uh, Reverend Dr. Paisley, sweetening the suck sound, pouring on that sugar. Queen of the suck, Lindsay, keeping family life moving along. Blasting out emails to agents, venues, merch developers, and more. She's, she's busy, B. Uh, today's Time Suck is brought to you by the same kick-ass podcast that brought you the suck last week, and that's why we drink. Are you listening yet? Are you scared yet? Have you ever found yourself exploring the intersection of true crime and the paranormal? Join host M, Team Milkshake, and Christine, Team Wine, every week to discuss ghost murder and everything else that makes them drink. Get ready to leave the lights on. Get ready to pull your covers over your head. And that's why we drink was featured in BuzzFeed's list of top 25 podcasts to listen to in 2018. And that's why we drink has covered topics ranging from John Wayne Gacy to the Amityville haunting, just like we have here on Time Suck. They have great taste. They've also covered unsolved disappearances, black-eyed kids, and more. New episodes released every Sunday, along with monthly listener episodes that feature your personal paranormal and true crime stories. Listen on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The world's a scary place. And that's why we drink. Link in today's episode description. And thank you for continuing to spread the suck with your ratings and reviews. Over 5,000 now on the U.S. Apple iTunes chart alone. I uh, heard we're getting more and more on Australia's iTunes charts, uh, on various podcasts, player apps, Facebook, elsewhere. Big thanks to our uh, international listeners, man. Thank you guys for spreading the suck globally. Uh, ratings and reviews uh, really help gain new listeners wherever you put them, almost as much as word of mouth. Uh, appreciate you spreading the suck around the not- at all flat earth. And when you're done leaving a rating or review on someone else's app, download my app. Yeah, fucking do it. Download the Time Suck app. New update came out on Labor Day. It was revised Monday night. Uh, make sure you're updated to at least version 3.07 on Apple and 3.09 on Android. It's working like a fucking champion on both my iPhone and my Android. Corresponding website working great across numerous browsers. Uh, the Time Suck app is the only podcast app I know of that has downloadable PDFs of show notes for every episode with uh, sources, all the notes. Uh, has variable speed playback now, custom character-based avatars designed by DangerBrain. The app now syncs across uh, episode progress, across devices, and uh, and also with the timesuckpodcast.com website. Almost 100 stability fixes in just this recent update. Uh, we now have a fact page. Yeah. Frequently asked questions page with easy email links regarding the most common questions we receive. Who do you email for merch-related questions? You ordered the wrong thing. You put the wrong address. Your, your package didn't show up. Go to the fact page. You can, you can just link right to uh, Kate at, at uh, Access Apparel. Who do you email regarding app or website concerns? Well, you email Bitelixer. Don't have their uh, email handy? Do- doesn't matter. Just go right to the fact page. Look it up. Boom. Click that link. Your email browser, uh, your email app opens up. Who do you email regarding instructions or becoming a space wizard? More, not just email links either, by the way. Uh, also, step-by-step instructions written right there. Uh, we've improved in-app messaging features to make it easier to use with confirmation uh, that your message has reached us. 
And we have an in-app, in-website message board, uh, you know, where you can where you can chat with fellow listeners and episodes about whatever uh, you know else you want to. Coming very soon, beta testing that now. Bitlex or myself put a lot of time, energy, and money into creating the best individual podcast on the market. I'm super proud of it. The team is proud of it. Thanks to Spaces donations, it's only going to keep getting better and better and better. By the time you hear this, we should have also upgraded to a dedicated server. It's going to greatly increase app and website speed and responsiveness. Hail Nimrod! Very proud of this app right now. Uh, Bitelixer, a staff of two dudes. I'm one man. And uh, and primarily the three of us have been obsessed for the past year with making this app awesome. And it's really starting to show. Uh, if, if you hear this before Wednesday, I'm performing at Hollywood Improv uh, Melrose, on Melrose, September 12th. I'll be just north of L.A. in Oxnard the rest of the week and the weekend, September 13th through 16th. Last uh, SoCal show. Well, that's not true. Actually, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be coming to Huntington Beach. Uh, also on October 5th and 6th. Less LA area shows. How about that? Is that true? Ticket links also available for uh, uh, September 27th to 29th in Portland, Oregon. Nowhere near LA. At Helium, Live Metamoros Narcos Satanist Cult Podcast. Doing that on the 30th. And then, yes, back in uh, uh, Huntington Beach, October 5th and 6th. Actually, where, where today's story begins. Uh, truly, in, in, in a, as far as starting the cult sense, it started in Huntington Beach. Uh, used to be kind of the hate Ashbury of Southern California, one of America's epicenters for the counterculture movement in the sixties and seventies. Beat the rec room, dishing out my counterculture stand-up rhetoric. Then back to the Northwest, hitting Tacoma October eleventh through thirteenth with another live Batamoros narco Satanist cult on October fourteenth. Rest of this year's tour dates, DanCummins.tv. Maybe I'm the problem, dropping on vinyl this Saturday, September fifteenth, noon Pacific time, via Romanus Records. Scoop 'em up. Link to custom limited edition pressings in the Romanus Records store in the episode description. Space Lizards can order now. Exclusive Space Lizard pre-order link in the recent episode descriptions of The Secret Suck. Uh, and now, on to today's ear candy. On to today's free entertainment. The price of free love really explored as we suck on the strange sexual Christian cult, the children of God. All right, 1968, Huntington Beach, counterculture movement, full swing. The flower children, they bloomed in San Francisco and also Southern California during 1967, Summer of Love. America's youth protesting the Vietnam War, rebelling against almost everything their parents had taught them. They were questioning their parents and their country's values. They didn't want two kids in a house in the suburbs. They didn't want to go to a judgmental, guilt-laden church on Sunday, work a traditional job the rest of the week, and live in a traditional sexless and spiritually unfulfilling marriage all of the time. They wanted sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It was the perfect time for, for all of that. AIDS hadn't hit yet. Uh, doctors realized penicillin would knock out most everything else, including syphilis. Uh, the birth control pill came out in 1960 and was just becoming mainstream public knowledge by the end of the decade. Anal lube was invented also in 1960. And, and by 1967, over 80% of sexually active men and women in the U.S. under the age of 35 we're regularly practicing anal sex according to CDC information. In fact, roughly 15% of ER visits in California in 1969 would be related to anal sex accidents. A recent Mayo Clinic survey conducted last year found that 65% of Americans over the age of 65 had either tried or were very into anal sex at one point during their lives. Now, now listen up. I just made up that anal sex stuff. Sorry, just uh, I did it hoping that at least one of you was really starting to think uh, that your parents and or grandparents were a lot wilder and kinkier than you ever imagined. Just sweet Nana. 
enjoying a little backdoor loving. Not so fast, Grandpa. Not so fast. Let, let me guide it in. Slow and steady wins the race. Hey, Lucifina. Uh, parents, listen with your kids right now. Have fun explaining that one. You're welcome. It's better that they hear from you, right? I'm just going to use that thought to uh, rationalize all the stuff I just said. Uh, for real, though, people were experimenting with new stuff. Maybe maybe not as much of uh, the butt stuff, but they were experimenting with new stuff. That part's true. America's hippies, uh, you know, they want something different. They didn't want the same old, same old. And then some of them met one David Berg. David was already 49 years old in 1968, as old or older than many of the parents of the potential converts he was speaking to. But he didn't look like their parents. He didn't act like their parents. He sure as hell didn't worship like their parents. He preached a very different gospel than the hippie kids of Huntington Beach were used to hearing. David's own teenage children convinced Huntington Beach youth to swing on over to the Huntington Beach Light Club, a Pentecostal evangelical ministry coffee house run by a local organization called Teen Challenge. At this little coffee shop, they listened to the charismatic Berg's anti-church, anti-establishment sermons in a non-church setting where they were offered food, shelter, music. They found a parental figure who, rather than shunning their hippie lifestyle, incorporated it into his new movement. Berg gradually developed a small communal group of about 35 initial followers. Uh, he preached that the end was imminent, encouraging converts to move, move, move in with him, devote their lives to Christ, uh, a Christ who wasn't interested in squashing their new free love spirit. And Berg's group continued to grow before he convinced his new followers to pack up and began following him around the world. Berg was insane. He was a manipulative sexual predator, but he was one who was very, very good at playing the part of cult leader, which made sense in his case. It was basically his destiny. He was raised to be a cult leader. Believe in uh, you're, you're one of God's chosen leaders, and more importantly, being able to convince others that you're one of God's prophets was in David's blood. He came from a long line of zealots and outright con artists, and his insane mother told him at a young age that God had big plans for him. So let's explore that lineage, figure out where this guy came from, look into the fruition of one madman's highly sexualized religious vision in today's Time Suck timeline. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a Time Suck timeline. On October 26, 1860, David Berg's grandfather, John Lincoln Brandt, is born in the little thousand-person town of Somerset, Ohio. Uh, he's surprisingly not listed among their notable people on Wikipedia. Philip Sheridan is. Sheridan was a Union general in the Civil War. He was a big early fan of Yellowstone National Park. Led the first U.S. cavalry into the park in 1886, where they fought a war against a large population of bear people. Uh, this would end with the bear people's extinction in 1903, and that's fucking crazy. No. The U.S. Cavalry uh, would protect the park from looters and poachers until the National Park Service took over in 1916. So how about that extra bit of knowledge? John Brandt would experience a dramatic conversion to Christianity in his mid-20s. He would uh, then travel the world, spreading the gospel of the Alexander Campbell movement, an evangelical-based movement that developed into the Disciples of Christ Christian Church. John was the author of 16 books. Uh, he pastored some 50 churches in his lifetime as well as lecturing throughout the United States, Canada, Mexico, Europe, Asia, Africa, the Pacific Islands. Man, he was getting around back when it wasn't as easy to travel. He was adamant that the teachings of Christ be spread through enthusiastic evangelicalism, uh, through song and dance. He lectured throughout the United States, again, all over the place, became a millionaire uh, through his lectures, writings, and shrewd investments. And on May 27, 1886, John witnessed the birth of his daughter, David's mother, Virginia Brandt later to become a Virginia Brandt Berg, and Virginia would grow up to become absolutely batshit crazy. Uh, Virginia was raised in wealth and luxury, traveling the world with her father, 
After a crisis of faith while in college and a bout of suicidal depression following the death of her mother, Virginia dedicated her life to God as well. Uh, Virginia, once engaged to Bruce Bogart, wealthy cousin of Humphrey Bogart, met Hjalmar Emanuel Berg, described as a handsome Swedish tenor, and fell in love. I Sorry, I shouldn't be. It just automatically pops into my head when I hear the word Swedish. And they fell in love and eloped. Uh, she really was engaged to Bruce Bogart. I found that funny for some reason. Like in my mind, Bruce continually just disappointed people. The name is Bogart. Humphrey? Oh my God, are you Humphrey Bogart, sir? Uh, no, I'm 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 Bruce. I'm Bruce Bogart. Humphrey's Humphrey's my cousin. C- could you please get him to sign a photo for me, sir? Uh, no, no, we we barely speak. We're, we're just cousins. I haven't seen him in three Thanksgiving since he took the last of the cranberry sauce. Like the selfish Hollywood turd he is. Now, please just just find me a table. I'll stop now. Uh, under the influence of his new father-in-law, Hjalmar Berg enrolled in a theological seminary in Des Moines, Iowa, and became an ordained minister of the Disciples of Christ. Of course he did. Got to please rich daddy-in-law. However, however, he was eventually expelled from the church along with his wife, Virginia Brandt Berg, because of uh, claims they both made regarding her divine healing. Here's where the crazy comes. Uh, Hjalmar and, and Virginia began touring the country as tent revival snake charmer snake oil salesman evangelists. Uh, their preaching centered on Virginia's testimony of her healing. She's a healer, you guys. She's a healer. Uh, Virginia claimed to have been injured in an auto accident that left her paralyzed and bedridden for nearly six years. And then suddenly, through Christ's mercy, she was healed and popped right up and walked straight into church from deathbed to pulpit. Hallelujah. Impressive if true, uh, but it was a story disputed by basically everyone who knew her. Uh, It was especially disputed by her immediate family who tried reminding Virginia and others that during her supposed period of paralysis, uh, she was up and around doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, From 1911 to 1917, the year she claimed to be totally paralyzed, uh, Virginia had in fact led a very active life in church affairs. Uh, She had both conceived and given birth to a daughter, had attended graduate school at at Texas Christian University, a school not exactly wheelchair accessible before 1920. Uh, there is not, not, a, not a single photo of her in a wheelchair. Article written in 1913 reported the arrival of Reverend H.E. Berg and his wife in Weatherford, Texas, to, to pastor the Central Christian Church in 1913, describing her as, quote, standing, ready, at any time to fill the pulpit. Still, Virginia used her testimony of healing throughout her life to establish herself as a woman of God, and a lot of people bought it. You know, it's stories like this that help me understand how people believe in the Illuminati or like the Flat Earth. Like, sometimes I'll think when reading some crazy conspiracy, how could anyone believe this horse shit? It doesn't make any sense. There's no evidence. It flies in the face of basic common sense and logic. And then I'll read a story like today's tale and remember, oh, yeah, there have always been plenty of people who don't need shit to make any sense whatsoever to believe in it. The world has always been full of people who either have zero critical thinking skills or just refuse to use them in certain areas of their life. People who just, uh, you know, they want something to be true and then figuratively just put their fingers in their ears and just shout, no, 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 no. You know, like whenever somebody presents evidence that what they believe in may be a bunch of nonsensical bullshit, you know, they believe in an idea, I think mostly because it makes them feel good to believe in it. They believe in a feeling, essentially. Or maybe they believe because of spoken or unspoken social pressure, maybe because others they care about believe in it or believed in it. You know, the idea, the belief emotionally ties them to a nostalgic past or to loved ones. You know, it's a time when life was better or, or, you know, or hope that life will be better. Or maybe they believe because believing in it allows them to quit worrying about the answers to troubling questions. Like, why are we here? What is the point of any of this? What happens when we die? These are all kinds of reasons that make emotional sense to me for others to choose to believe in all kinds of just completely irrational things. 
And, and for a certain kind of person, if you try to fuck with any of the answers to life's hard questions, like, you know, the answers they've come up with, man, you're the devil. You're the Illuminati. Uh-uh. <laughs> nice try, you silver-tongued trickster. Oh, man, you sure do sound like you make a lot of sense. Your stories sure add up. Your points sure seem to be logical and impossible for me to refute or argue against. I would believe what you're telling me, that my core belief system is nothing more than the paranoid fantasies of a madman. But I was warned about you, devil. Ha-ha! I was told you're the master of lies. Nice try. Anything you say is a lie. And anything I believe is truth. That's how we're going to play this game. Now, if you excuse me, I have to put my fingers back on my ears. No, 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 no. It's this reaction that makes cults so dangerous. Once a person goes to this mental place with a dangerous cult, almost impossible to get them back out. So despite plenty of evidence that Virginia was absolutely full of shit, people believed her tales of miraculous God who miraculously healed her. Because I'm guessing, you know, a world that includes a God like that is, a, is better than a world that doesn't, you know? God like that might cure them when they need it. Uh, Virginia gave birth to the first of her three children, Hajalma Berg Jr. in 1911, Virginia Burke Jr. in 1915, and the last of her kids, born in February 18th, 1919, David Brandt Berg. Now I'm really done, I think. David was born in Oakland, California, during his parents' missionary trips around the country, traveling and holding revivals as the Berg Evangelicist, wait, evan, Evangelistic Dramatic Company. Oh, man, that's a mouthful. Traveled as the Berg Evangelistic Dramatic Company. Her parents were, were uh, based out of Miami until 1928, pastoring a number of churches around the area. And, uh, and David would grow up accompanying his mother on her evangelical journeys and he'd become a young pastor himself. He'd also allegedly be sexually molested by adults of both sexes during his childhood, even having an incestuous uh, sexual relationship with a female cousin at age seven. He became obsessed with sex and masturbation by the time he was a teen, all of which conflicted with his mother's strict moral upbringing. And, uh, and this, you know, kind of reveals a lot about why he formed the kind of mythology I think he did. You know, clearly the, the seeds of childhood sexuality intertwined with Christian doctrine are sown here. The focus on incest, the notion to, to claim that God is speaking through you and asking you to lead others is an ideal illustrated to him on a daily basis by his mother. Uh, in 1941, 22-year-old David Berg drafted into the Army, sent to Fort uh, Belvoir, Virginia, home with U.S. Army engineers. Berg claimed to have had double pneumonia, in 1942, uh, 1942, excuse me, and while on his deathbed, promised God his lifetime service and was immediately miraculously healed. He claimed that doctors had discharged him, giving him only one year to live due to a fragile heart condition. And yet, yet they lived many years. No proof of this can be found. And it sounds to me this, is, this story is about as real as his mom's uh, paralysis story. 1944, just a family of liars. 1944, David Berg met Jane Miller at the little church of Sherman Oaks, California, where she was working as a church secretary and youth director. I love Sherman Oaks. I think it's super cute. Uh, cute little Main Street, great restaurants, really fun comic book shop I've been to a couple times. Uh, anyway, without the blessing of Jane's uh, tightly knit Baptist family for the relationship, David and Jane eloped and married on July 22nd, 1944 in Glendale, California, which means there's a good chance one or both of them are Armenian. Um that's a joke that people uh, from the Glendale area will, will get. Jane had to have known David. It was a little strange when she met him, a, a little taken with his spirit. But, man, he would get so much stranger. 1948, following his father's footsteps, David becomes an ordained minister of the church, uh, or excuse me, of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, pastoring a small church in Valley Farms, Arizona. Uh, the Bergs would eventually have four kids together, all instrumental to the founding of the Children of God movement. David's wife, Jane, would later become known as Mother Eve to members. That's fun. 
1950, David Berg had a falling out with certain uh, Missionary Alliance leadership. He would later claim that he was unjustly removed from the pastorate because of his strong sermons and integration policies. Now, his sermons were too strong, you guys. They just they were jealous. Uh, basically, everyone else would later claim that he got kicked out for having an affair with a member of the congregation. I'm, I'm guessing, I'm strongly guessing that one's the truth. Uh, David would spin his getting kicked out for fucking the wife of one of the people he was supposed to be teaching God's word to into him becoming the victim. He developed a deep-seated hatred towards established churches around this time. This hatred would, would later become a... Uh, you know, one of the foundational doctrines of the children of God. He later write, embittered and sick of the whole hypocritical church system where they don't let me fuck anyone. He didn't write that part. Uh, I nearly became a communist. I returned to college on the GI Bill, determined to study philosophy, psychology, and political science rather than religion, and became seriously involved in the study of socialism and communism. Uh, during his communist sabbatical, David Berg taught in Cavalry Junior, junior High School. Um... Drove a school bus for several years. For the remaining years of the 1950s, Berg often took his family on the road as he did his own kind of wandering out into the wilderness period of soul searching, working as a preacher, generally outside the shelter of church denominations, relying on the kindness and charity of strangers they would meet. Uh, during the 50s up until 1967, David Berg worked for the Fred Jordan, or worked for, excuse me, the Fred Jordan, uh, worked for Fred Jordan of the Soul Clinic in Los Angeles, promoting his TV program called Church in the Home. So kind of like an early public access type thing. Uh, there he seemed to temporarily find his niche in Jordan's radical missionary witnessing movement, gaining a quasi-military zeal for personal witnessing, an emphasis which remains a major part of the Children of God Family International to this day. Personal witnessing for any uh, fellow non-believers is, is sharing your own personal story of salvation through Christ, generally told in the hopes of converting someone. Uh, one church website described it this way, saying, Christian witnessing is merely sharing our heartfelt faith in Christ what he's personally done to change our individual lives. Uh, another website laid out an outline for prepping your witnessing story, saying, pray before you write out and share your story. Write the way you speak. Don't be overly negative or positive. Be honest. Don't criticize or name any church, denomination, organization, etc. Think about your listeners. Avoid overly religious terms. Don't spook them. Uh, keep it short. Aim to tell your story in three to five minutes. Practice telling your story until it becomes natural. Uh, keep your ween in your pants. That's I added that one, but that's that's solid. Not part of their things, but good advice. Keep it in, keep it in shorts. 1965 was a big year for David. His mom, uh, Virginia, really helped him finish shaping his finish shaping his destiny this year. Uh, her other two kids had left the church, and 46 year old David was her only hope as far as carrying out the family's religious legacy. You know, in addition to her father, there were several other pastor and and uh, religious figures in the family tree going back at least a couple hundred years. 1965, Virginia Berg personally delivered to her son David a warning prophecy she claimed to have received from God. Now, what's a warning prophecy, you ask? It is the wackadoodle rantings of a delusional and or manipulative maniac who thinks they are acting as God's conduit. Basically, Virginia thought she received important messages from God from time to time as lunatics do. She thought she was God's answering machine. You know, God's voicemail, because, you know, even though he's an omnipotent, all-powerful, creative force, too powerful for a human mind to even fully comprehend, he apparently is not powerful enough just to speak to everybody at once. Now, he's got he's to find somebody like Virginia to relay his messages. That makes sense. Then in 1966, she delivered another prophecy declaring that David had received the understanding of Daniel to know the number of years un, uh, unto the end of desolations. I always love the language in these. The end of desolations. Hmm. Very important sounding. These messages were pivotal in David's life and the basis for his belief that his own life was inextricably linked to the last seven years of the world history. 
David shortly thereafter developed his belief that God had a special destiny and mission for him and would eventually begin making personal claims as the prophet of his generation. <laughs> yeah, just what the world needed. Yet another ridiculous asshole who thinks they're God's action star, playing the main part in the greatest movie of all time, The Last Days of Earth. I've said it before on The Suck, and I'll say it again, man. The one thing all of these apocalyptic uh, just you know, assholes have in common is that they're all wrong every single time. Not one has ever been right. Not one time. Just remember that the next time somebody tries to sell you on some notion of impending doom and God's wrath, always wrong. Always. Uh, around the time of these prophecies, David and his wife and kids moved to Florida. Berg founded a missionary training school in Miami, calling it the Florida Soul Clinic. And then the Berg, uh, the Bergs were ejected from Miami by local authorities for using overly aggressive tactics for spreading their message. Love that. Wish I had more details on how they were pressured to leave. Berg blamed his trouble on the Jews. Uh-huh explaining that they had rejected his message and used their Jewish influence to drive him out of, this, of the city of Miami. Uh, he's one of those assholes too, man. One who blames the Jews for their troubles. Man, I'd have this credit card paid off if it wasn't for the Jews. My wife just left me. Why? Well, I'm not, I'm not totally sure other than I know that the Jews had something to do with it. God damn it, this tuna melt is soggy. Damn you, Jews. Can't even let me enjoy a crunchy lunch sandwich. After getting ran out of Florida, Berg and his family uh, spent some time at the Soul Clinic Ranch in Mingus, Texas. A lot of Soul Clinic stuff. Uh, the property of his former employee employer, Fred Jordan. They began living as traveling evangelists then. Uh, he trained his kids to be involved in his ministry. They moved from town to town, uh, becoming evangelical singers, calling themselves the Teens of Christ. Mm. Uh, by his own accounts, during this period, Berg was already in conflict with traditional church values regarding sex, infidelity, and adultery. Of course he was. He later told his followers that he visited prostitutes and adulterous affairs while on the road, away from his wife. Uh, according to Berg's immediate family, he also had affairs with housekeepers, uh, living guests, and uh, and governesses. That's an interesting one, and some governesses. Man, dude just could not keep his boner in check. Sounds like a sex addict. Dude, it's not a competition, man. You don't have to fuck everybody. Uh, Berg also began making sexual advances to his daughters in the 1960s. Uh, like the true creep he was, at least six women, including members of his immediate family, would eventually come forward claiming that Berg molested them as children. Who knows how many women were molested but just haven't come forward? After not making enough money to provide for his family and getting kicked out of town after town for fucking everybody, uh, Berg moves the fam to Huntington Beach, California. Moves in with his mom, just like a true 49-year-old champion. That's when you know you're really God's chosen prophet, when you have to move in uh, with mommy. You have to move back in with mommy at 49 years old. That's you know, only the best, only the cream of the crop get to be God's prophets. When mommy died later in 1968, Berg, who'd always had a talent for reading, uh, reaching and, and, and or molesting the youth, uh, decided to minister what he considered to be the lost sheep of the counterculture and began preaching to the hippies. Oh, hippies. In the late 1960s, Huntington Beach was to Southern California what hate Ashbury was to San Francisco, right? Uh, the counterculture pitted against the establishment. And like I said at the top of the episode, Berg used his teenage children to lure potential converts over to the Huntington Beach Light Club. That Pentecostal coffee shop, hear him speak, gathered a few dozen members, subjected his new followers to intensive biblical studies, memorization of Bible verses and references, training them to evangelize, to, to convert new members. Initially, he kept his message to biblically-based teachings. He may not have had the Bible actually memorized like Branch Davidian leader David Koresh, but pretty damn close. You know, he, he, he waited a bit to play the God wants you to pray via my dick Rasputin card. Uh, early on, Berg did use verses from the Bible to justify teachings that true disciples of Christ, you know, must drop out and forsake all. Luke, chapter 14, verse 33, King James Bible. 
Uh, he interpreted this verse as literally meaning to abandon all responsibilities and sever ties with any and all job, school, family, friends. At the height of the hippie era, in the midst of sentiments against materialism and ownership, Berg made his followers return home to their parents to spoil Egypt, Exodus 12, 36, to claim all that they could as theirs, then sell everything they owned and hand over the entire proceeds to him. Big, big, big red cult flag here. When you're selling your shit and cutting ties to your family per the instructions of your new religious leader, congratulations, you are for sure in a cult now. Uh, by early 1969, Berg's movement had grown to about 50 followers. You know, it's a steady, steady growth. Uh, due to word spreading around that Berg was convincing local youth to take their parents' shit and also cut ties to their families, public pressure begins to mount for, for him to leave. Uh, not coincidentally, Berg then receives a message from God uh, that a monstrous earthquake would soon destroy the coastal cities of California. And he warned his members to leave. It was imminent. They must leave before the earthquakes destroyed everything. Over two decades later, when the earthquake still hadn't hit and Berg was still alive, how do you explain that to your followers? It reminds me of Marshall Applewhite constantly telling his early Heaven's Gate followers, remember uh, from that suck, like, like the aliens were coming to pick him up at such and such time, at such and such place, and it just kept not happening. Uh, did, did I say massive earthquake? <laughs> oh, no. Uh, no. I, what I said, I believe, if I recall, was, was uh, mm, God, put me on the spot here. Pass, passive Smurf Snake is what I said. That's what I said. I said a passive Smurf snake would show up on the California coast. And what that means, if you were paying attention, was that the Smurf cartoons would be written and produced in California, the devil's cartoon. And it was best that we not be around the, the devil's influence. Hey, what kind of bird is that? Look over there. Man, cool bird. <laughs> okay, great talking. I got to go. I got to do some more church sex stuff now. Uh, Berg's brand of revolutionaries for Jesus fled the wrath of their parents and the media in California, hit the road in convoys and trailers. They traveled in smaller groups down to Tucson, Arizona, uh, where they were eventually expelled from Tucson for staging demonstrations and disruptions to, uh, to church services. <laughs> they were forced to move from town to town. They wandered throughout much of the United States and Canada, staging demonstrations and urging others to join. Uh, just being annoying, dirty hippies. In February 1970, some 150 members of the group established a 425-acre colony a few miles from the ghost town of Thurber, Texas. This acreage, known as the Texas South Clinic Ranch, TSC, was owned by the American Soul Clinic Group, that same group, a non-denominational missionary organization, right, uh, headed by that television evangelist and friend of David's, Fred Jordan, his former employer in the 1950s. From the Texas Soul Clinic, teams were sent out on road trips to other cities to win converts, establish new colonies, eventually regrouping in Laurentide near Montreal, Canada, uh, some 3,000 miles away. Crazy, man. In 1970, uh, the Branch Davidian compound outside of Waco, Texas, compound that would later be raided based on allegations of pedophilia, alive and well, a little over 10 years before the arrival of David Koresh. And another insane religious compound exists only a two-hour's drive away in Thurber. Man, land of zealots back in the 1970s. wonder how many exist now. Uh, how many compounds are out there in Texas? Marshall Applewhite, also from Texas, got his initial Heaven's Gate ideas in Texas. Go big or go home. You know, it's big, it's big in Texas, including cults. Uh, David himself, however, did not initially settle in Texas with 150 of his followers. He and 20 of the other followers, they went to that, you know, uh, Camp Lauren tied outside of Montreal, established a world headquarters, and finally openly started banging other cult members. He'd been waiting for months. He's done hiding his God boners. He wrote his first of what would be uh, his many uh, Mo letters. Mo is short for Moses, as in Moses David, a name he adopted. Uh, that's another big red, just get the fuck out of this cult now flag. When your leader changes his or her birth name to a new culty sounding name. Like if I ever legally <laughs> change my name to Nimrod, get out. 
Stop listening. It's time to shut all this down. Uh, Berg revealed that he'd received a prophecy on August 26, 1969. He called it a prophecy of God on the old church and the new church. It contained language like, they claim to be mine, my wife, my church, but the relationship is in name only. There is no other relationship. There is no other communion. They have no other intercourse and they bear no children. Therefore, this is hypocrisy and not a marriage. This is pretense and not love. And therefore shall the old vestures be removed and shall be clothed in a new garment and a new look, and all things shall become new and old. Things shall pass away, and I will have a new bride who will love me and obey me and do my will and bear me children. No longer barren as she was, for this is my will for this last generation, and I will take the weak things to confound the mighty, the foolish things to bring not the wisdom of the wise and raise up her that was not as though she were. Fucking crazy talk. Another big red cult flag. When someone claims to speak on behalf of God and uses King James English to do so. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, as if this omnipotent God is still living just, you know, uh, in medieval Europe. Like, as if God hasn't updated his lingo. Right? <laughs> like, think, think about how crazy that is. That shit makes no sense. As if thee and thou and thus is, is just the way that God prefers to speak. Can you imagine if some divine power suddenly did just reveal itself in the sky and it really did talk like that? Thou needest to listenest to meeth now, for I have an importantest message for thee and thou and thine. Some random dude, uh, hey God, can you update the, the lingo a little bit, bro? Times have changed, my man. Oh, <clears throat> yes, oh, yes, of course. Sorry about that. Listen up, motherfuckers. I have some important knowledge to drop on your asses. Put your fucking phones down for a second. Look towards heaven. You don't want to see me get angry. Is that better? All right, hashtag woke as fuck. Totally, God. Thank you. Way better. Thank you. Anyway, David used his weird King James prophet speak to announce he had taken a new bride in addition to his current wife. Uh, his old wife was the old church, and his new wife was the new church. Hmm. I don't think Lindsay would let me get away with that uh, at home. Lindsay, this is Sarah, a 19-year-old that ieth hath meteth hath the gymeth. She will shareeth our beddeth noweth. Please don't get maddeth. It is God's willeth. She's the new church. You're, you're still my old church. You're my, you're my old church, which is pretty cooleth. It's still churcheth. That's pretty good, rightth. Uh, Karen Zerby, uh, <laughs> his mistress, would take on the biblical name Maria. She's the new church, his wife and mother of his kids. They're out, man. Out with the old, in with the new. I can get out there. Get out of here, old wife. Got a new wife. Uh, the first mill letter marked the beginning of Berg's pattern of sanctifying and justifying his actions and policies to his followers. Followers, excuse me, by, by means of prophetic utterances. He would soon proclaim himself God's end time prophet, speaking God's words for today, using verses and examples from scripture to justify his new doctrines, which he elevated to the level of scripture. His word is God's word. As a result of Berg's example in urging sexual promiscuity, free sex and partner swapping uh, became rampant amongst those children, uh, amongst the children of God's leadership. For a time, however, though, these practices remained hidden from the general rank-and-file members. They were not introduced into the mid-1970s for, for everybody. Also in 1970, uh, group members began engaging in a weird sackcloth, uh, in weird, excuse me, sackcloth demonstrations around the U.S., dressing up in sackcloth, putting ash all over their faces, uh, gathering in places like Times Square in New York City, outside the U.N. headquarters, yelling at strangers, you know, uh, the, basically that kind of rhetoric of, the end is near, so join our cult so you don't go to hell. You know, that, that kind of shit you see in those places today. Uh, after one of these demonstrations, a journalist saw a bunch of members camped in a junkyard behind a truck stop in Camden, New Jersey. Uh, called them the Children of God, and the name stuck. Uh, I guess that's a better nickname than the Children of Junk. You know, you could have called them that. Could have called them the Dirt Kids. 
Could have called them uh, Jesus's dumpster divers. Uh, considering the way that, you know, that Berg would weave Jesus and sex into his, you know, creepy messages, you know, they could have been called Jesus's cum dumpsters. That's, that, that would have been an unfortunate nickname. But funny for today's story. Also, later in 1970, uh, David and his Canada-based followers, they, they, they leave, head to Thurber, Texas, join the rest of the group. He divided his followers into 12 tribes then, inspired by the 12 tribes of Israel, gives each tribe various responsibilities, camp maintenance, food preparation, livestock care, spit shine in his ball sack, you know, camp stuff. David also imposed uh, strict rules on his followers to keep everything within the camp budget, like a, like a strict two-sheet rule for toilet paper. Seriously, that was the maximum amount of sheets you could use for, for number two in it. What the fuck? Does God not understand how, how messy a man shit can be? Two sheets? Get out of here. Did he expect every shit to be a miracle? To me, that's a miracle. Only needing two sheets of toilet paper to clean your ass after taking a shit. That sounds heavenly. I can't even, I can't even imagine that. Usually it's like a fucking, uh, some kind of, what's that? What's that? Uh, not FEMA. <laughs> Try to think of like a Hanford site, like a, like a toxic waste site. Anyway, uh, try, try to pull a joke out of the air. It wasn't, wasn't there for me. David tried to pull another poop joke out of the surrounding. Couldn't get it. David imposed a buddy system that decreed that members could not go anywhere without a partner. Outgoing mail was checked and censored for security. Has, hazmat. That's what I was trying to think of earlier. I know that I know no one cares, but I care. Uh, now that the joke doesn't even is ruined. Exhausted new members were subjected to relentless uh, Bible classes and indoctrination. Their, their buddy helped them in the rote memorization of Bible passages whenever possible, even during their toilet activity. Seriously, they're already in there with their fucking two sheets trying to get the job done, and they got somebody in the bathroom with them being like, ah, ah, come on, come on. You can, you can wipe. You can, you can refold that one square 17 times as you try not to get it all over your fingers and learn a little bit of uh, Corinthians. Why not? Uh, another huge cult uh, red flag here. When a group doesn't, you know, think it's a good idea for you to ever be alone, so you can never have time to think about whether or not you should be in the group. Uh, any group like that is not a group you should join. Um, yeah, Berg himself, of course, and his family, his immediate uh, circle of leadership, they, they didn't follow these rules. Nah, God, God knew that Berg needed plenty of toilet paper to wipe his his extra special asshole. Uh, Berg and his inner circle enjoyed special privileges as other followers lived in horrible conditions, relying on the charity of strangers, often eating rotting food or discarded animal feed from nearby farms. According to one thing I read, God clearly didn't like those people as much as he liked David. God's will be done. Eat the leftover cattle feed, you swine. Uh, the children of God were featured on Fred Jordan's Los Angeles television program, Church in the Home in the early 70s, soliciting funds from the viewing public, making that cult money. Brochures are printed, distributed. I, I bet they left the two-ply thing off the brochure, but they left the uh, eating the old cattle feed off there. Um, they, had a, they had attractive pictures of the ranch, advertised a three-month course, an intensive basic training, and then a three-month leadership training course. Uh, you can be a weird leader in only three, three extra months. At the end of the six months of intensive indoctrination, any converts wishing to serve in full-time ministry were then required to apply for a license through the gospel ministry sponsored by the American Soul Clinic uh, ministerial licenses were uh, issued and used for, among other things, draft dodging. Ah, that's how they recruited people. Get a minister license. You don't have to go to Nam. Use the Vietnam War to your hippie cult advantage. Bojangles is disgusted. He's growling right now. Easy, Bojangles. Easy. Easy, buddy. Uh, new Children of God converts were uh, were taught complete subservience to the group uh, that the government was Satan. So, not entirely wrong. Uh, kidding, kind of. Government listeners, we, we need you, some of you. Uh, the rest of you, walking reminders of bureaucratic red tape. You know I'm right. Come on, hail me. Uh, 
Uh, converts were taught to feel hostility towards established society, towards established religion. There were reported cases of converts being required to confess their past criminal history on the paper, which was then used to convince their parents that these, uh, that these kids were better off with the group. Also at the time, according to several former members in his immediate leadership circle, Berg led discussions amongst group leadership at the Thurberg Colony, which would inevitably lead to sexual topics, would, would then lead to orgies, church orgies. Here we go. Just as Christ envisioned, God is good. First, the second wife. Now, outright orgies. God's will be done. Still, David continued this time to keep all these sexual exploits away from the general membership. This is just for the inner circle, right? The, the rest of them actually were, were uh, at this time, uh, supposed to still live in celibacy. You know, promiscuity and fraternization with the opposite sex was, uh, were punishable offenses for the first few years for the lowly members. Talk about the haves and the have-nots. The inner circle literally fucking each other, wine dine 69 and while the peasants eating cattle feed. Staring at boners are not supposed to stick anywhere. Staring at vaginas whose moisture isn't doing anything but adding a little humidity to the already humid Texas air. Uh, by the end of 1970, in, uh, in hiding from angry parents and worried about being uh, uh, detained by law enforcement, Berg and his mistress, Maria, removed themselves from the group's Texas colony. They get out of Thurber, and they make their whereabouts known only to top leaders. I, I get it. You know, you're making a lot of enemies when you're constantly banging people's wives and brainwashing people's kids. Uh, church leaders called shepherds were appointed to lead individual colonies now, and regional shepherds were appointed to supervise colonies in various geographical regions. These were in turn supervised by members of his immediate family who were given positions of director. Berg continued exercising leadership and control of the group through this hierarchy and by issuing directives directly to his flock in the form of his Mo letters. In April of 1971, David Berg and Maria flee to Europe, moving to London. Uh, in a perfect world, their plane... Uh, headed to London, crashes into the sea. And then they initially survive the crash, but then get attacked by sharks and then survive the shark attacks barely and make it to a desert island where they contact a rescue team who finds them right after their eyeballs are chewed out of their heads by Roanoke recluse spiders who bite them to death. And then their entire organization goes away. But that's not the case. This is not a perfect world. They, they made it. They lived. Uh, at least they weren't able to travel in the comfort of today's sponsor. Take your piece of shit suitcase Shove it up your ass or throw it in the trash. Or if local ordinances allow it and you have proper burn site, you shut, set that shit on fire. Get a new suitcase from Away Travel. Today's Time Suck brought to you by Away. Away offers high quality luggage that is designed to be resilient, resourceful, essential to the way you travel. There are slick looking, stylish suitcases available in a variety of colors, four sizes, including carry-on sizes that are compliant with all major U.S. airlines. The Away suitcase is lightweight, made with premium German polycarbonate that's unrivaled in strength and impact resistance. Not to mention, it features a TSA-approved combination lock, four 360-degree spinner wheels, and a patent-pending compression system to help overpackers like myself. Better yet, both sizes of the carry-on are able to charge anything that's powered by a USB cord. A single charge will power your iPhone five times. This is my favorite part of this suitcase. I'm on my phone a lot. Especially traveling, man. I use it to, to Bluetooth my headphones on my flight, check emails, text Lindsay, post on social media, watch movies on Netflix, Amazon, HBO. When I have time, read books on Kindle so much. And all that stuff drains a battery. But that doesn't matter because the second I get off the plane, I hook my phone up to the charger on the top of my carry-on away suitcase, tuck it under the hand, you know, little handle strap, and then I just charge it as I walk to the airport like the true travel ninja I am. Million mile flyer right here. Uh, I charge it as I'm actually probably several million. You can't up all the airlines, sadly. Uh, I charge it as I'm, as I'm waiting to board. Charge it while I grab a, a bite to eat. Charge it in the bathroom stall as I purge myself of bad food choices. 
And what's really awesome is that the battery pack pops out very easily because now you're supposed to take it out before, before you uh, either check it or take it through TSA. Very easy just to pop it out. It's not very big. Throw it in your purse. Throw it in your backpack. Throw it in, throw it in your pocket. Uh, and that compression strap, also awesome, by the way. I, I get uh, all my clothes for like a, uh, like a five-day trip into one little carry-on because of that strap. So try out the best suitcase on the market for, from away for 100 days. Vibe with it. Travel with it. Instagram it. And if at any point you decide it's not for you, return it for a full refund. It doesn't get any better than that. Shipping is free within the lower 48 states. And who doesn't like free? And thanks to Away's lifetime warranty, if anything breaks, they'll fix it. So you got nothing to lose. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash timesuck. Use promo code timesuck during checkout. That's awaytravel.com slash timesuck. Promo code timesuck for $20 off your Away suitcase. Link in the episode description button link to the deal in the sponsor section of the Timesuck app. Man, if only I could go back in time and kill David Berg, chop him up, stuff all of his shitty parts into an away suitcase, and then let all of his former victims piss on it before using it to beat any current leaders who also molested kids to death. Away, the best suitcase on the market for beating cult leaders to death and then stuffing their parts inside of it. But for real, uh, Berg and his mistress are now in London. Uh, With their financial operations offshore for a while, they are able to evade the scrutiny of U.S. authorities looking into Children of God's activities. Living in England, Berg publishes several books, a monthly periodical, and a series of Mo letters that his followers considered equal in authority to the Bible. Mainstream Christian denominations uh, denounce and criticize Berg's writings as as being doctrinally vague, with no clear statement of belief, often contradictory, lacking contextual scriptural support. That doesn't seem to bother his followers. They look forward to every new publication impatiently. In February 1972, Berg declares in The Law of Moses uh, that his letters are the the voice of God. You know, if it wasn't clear before, now it's superficial, you guys. What I say is what God says. Always. My lips move. God's words pour out. Okay? Bend over and take some sacrament on your knees. Uh, To be clear, God wants you to swallow. Uh, Berg teaches his followers that Jesus' return is imminent and the last seven years of world history would be inseparably intertwined with his life, that he would die in 1989. So, shit is supposed to start getting crazy in 1982. Insanely, uh, David would continue to have his followers follow him despite nothing happening in 1982 or 1989, and he doesn't die. Uh, He'd live until 1994. Again, you'd think they'd be a little pissed about, you know, not preparing for life past 1989 and then the world not getting destroyed. Just like, fuck, man. I would have stayed in school, saved for retirement, maybe not told my boss to go fuck himself in 1988. If I knew I'd still be here in 1990, not, you know, 1990, damn it, damn it, Berg. Because people thought the world was going to be over in 1989. They didn't worry about making a, you know, short, or, or they only uh, kind of made short-term choices. They didn't worry about long-term stuff. They didn't focus on like uh, saving. They didn't focus on proper schooling and education for the kids. It was pointless, de-emphasized. Uh, man, again, doomsday prophets been correct 0% of the time. When someone tells you to not worry about stuff because they know for a fact that the world is going to end on such and such date, uh, they don't know that. I know for a fact they're a wackadoodle. From London, Berg insisted that the group spread out and established new colonies throughout the USA. Bands were formed. Music was emphasized as a method of outreach. Elements of their doomsday message remains the same. The corruption of the system, the imminent fall of America, the end of the world. All this is put in, you know, into music form alongside simple songs of uh, salvation. Further emphasis placed on the importance of personal testimony when it came time to recruiting, initiate conversations, you know, tell, uh, give your testimony about how you, how you were lost without Jesus, you were on drugs, et cetera, and then you met the group and your life was changed. Uh, by 1972, the children of God would claim to have swelled to 1,400 in number with members from every state of the union, mostly in their teens and early 20s. 
However, with an increase in numbers came a corresponding increase in concerned family members. Also, they've been around long enough to start having members start to leave the group as well and, uh, and tell what they had seen. Reports start to come in from members who had left the group telling tales of coercion, rape, orgies, forced alienation from families, manipulation, defrauding the public for donations, lying to an evasion of law enforcement, etc., etc., etc. In August 1971, several concerned parents headed by William Ramber, whose children had joined the Children of God, formed a counter-cult movement called Free Cog, or Free Our Children from the Children of God. Their mission was to, to free by intervention, if necessary, their children from what they considered to be a destructive cult. And they were correct. It is a destructive cult. Free Cog enlisted the help of a well-known deprogrammer, Ted Patrick, reportedly experiencing the successful uh, reverse brainwashing of members from several other cults. Patrick, an African-American, was known to members of the Children of God as Black Lightning. Now, Patrick's controversial methodology, uh, methodology involved kidnapping cult members, placing them in isolation, the use of shock to attack the mechanisms he believed were used in the control of their minds. He was also known for using the Bible to argue with subjects who joined Bible-based cults. Patrick was charged with kidnapping on several counts but found innocent. Although he discontinued participation in actual kidnappings, uh, only contributing to deprogramming sessions, he was later charged and found guilty for one count of conspiracy to kidnap and for false imprisonment. Despite FreeCog's efforts and the efforts of their parents, uh, or, or excuse me, of other parents to retrieve their kids from the children of God, the movement's membership continued to grow. Man, damn, too bad, uh, uh, you know, Patrick wasn't able to completely take them down. What a, what a badass movie that would have made, you know? Dude sounds awesome. Kidnapping cult members, aggressively deprogramming them. Man, too bad he wasn't able to get his hands on David Berg himself. Now, there is a documentary about Ted Patrick known as the father of cult deprogramming. It's called, no surprises here, Deprogrammed. It's on Netflix. It's also on YouTube's paid platform. I think it just came out like 2016. I don't have time to watch the trailer, but it looks fascinating. Uh, as far as I can tell, this, this now 88-year-old Ted Patrick is still helping deprogram people. Dude is a fucking American hero. I'm going to have to suck him someday. I'm going to put the link to the YouTube trailer in the episode description. Uh, later in 1972, just four years after getting started, Berg pushes the sexual boundaries of his cult even further. Uh, he redefines the family unit now, declaring in a Mo letter titled, One Wife that God was in the business of breaking up little selfish private worldly families to make of their yielded broken pieces a larger unit, one family. Big time red flag cult talk here. You don't have a family, you silly goose. We're your family. Run, run, run. Uh, David taught that uh, breaking up families to extract disciples for the movement was justifiable in God's eyes. Communal interests were to be prioritized above private interests, including the private interests of marriage and children. Bird declared to the law of love doctrine that anything including taking sexual liberties would not be wrong in the eyes of God if, if done in the name of love. You know, basically, it sounds like he's given the green light here to rape and molestation. Uh, he says, uh, yeah, anything including taking sexual liberties, not wrong in the eyes of God if done in the name of love. So under that directive, sneaking up on someone of any age in the shower, choking them down, pinning them to the floor, and then forcibly inserting your hard penis into random clenched orifices is totally okay as long as you do it with love in your heart. Oh, and the cult goes along with this. Ugh. Please, Nimrod, never let my children feel so desperate that the supposed love of a cult like this appeals to them on any level. Let, let time suck be the only cult they ever join. Uh, enjoy or join. Man, David then starts arranging marriages, breaking up marriages as, as, as he slash God sees fit. Oftentimes, he breaks up marriages and sends one of the partners to a different commune or compound. He also decides that children of, uh, children of God members are no longer their children. Uh, they're the children of the movement. 
Through the Mo letter, The Great Escape, he, he directs his followers then to leave the U.S. and Canada, start up new colonies across the globe. By the end of 1973, they've claimed a total of 2,400 uh, 2, full-time members living in 140 colonies in 40 different countries. Despite being spread out across the world, David keeps a firm grip on his leadership. The prerequisite for being a full-time member was the acknowledgement that Mo, David Berg, was the end-time prophet with the, the ultimate central authority in all matters. Uh, David would, would occasionally purge the ranks, you know, uh, make examples out of certain leaders who uh, didn't follow him closely enough to make sure that everybody else did. Uh, Burke continues to write his Mo letters, which get more and more controversial. Uh, they're, they're controversial enough now that they get divided into three categories. GP for the general public, DO for disciples only, and then DFO, a category kind of in between for disciples and friends only. And then LT for leadership training. Uh, this ensured that the more controversial or difficult to understand material would not land in the hands of the general public. As a matter of policy, members were advised to feed babes, new recruits, with, quote, milk, i.e., uh, general public or GP material, and not introduce them to, quote, strong meat, i.e., controversial DO or disciples-only material in the beginning, lest they choke on it. Berg kept the movement on his toes, explaining to his followers that the only thing they could be certain of was continual change. Their revolution demanded it. It's God's will. God, God is great. Uh, 1974, the lecherous 55-year-old Berg, continually sexualizing the movement to greater and greater degrees, writes a number of weird Mo letters uh, on this theme, such as revolutionary sex, revolutionary marriage, revolutionary lovemaking, love light, the goddess. On receipt of the Mo letter, come on, Ma, burn your bra, because <laughs> that's what God's concerned about, bra burning. There are reports of leaders demanding that all female members get rid of their bras. Or risk having them forcibly torn off. Get your bra off. God's will be done. The Law of Love, written in 1974, taught members to sacrifice anything and everything in the name of love. Berg declared that total and complete freedom from the bondage of the law was reserved only for the spiritually worthy. While a few members did finally leave on the introduction of more and more radical sexual themes, those who remained are expected to comply with the teaching wholeheartedly. And basically, the overall message of his teaching was, fuck anyone in the group who wants to fuck you. Free love. Baby, free love. And then Berg took things even further when he introduced the concept of flirty fishing in 1974. Flirty fishing, referred to as FFing uh, in a lot of the documents from the church, was the encouragement of female members to initiate sexual relations with non-members in order to win converts, supporters, and influential friends. Uh, the Spanish island of Tenerife, where the uh, children of God had a compound, became Berg's playground slash sexual laboratory where he experimented with FFing uh, and fine-tuned its methodology. You know, uh, i.e., he, he fucked a whole bunch of young female members. Uh, yes, yes, you did great, Shannon. You, you totally fished me into fucking you. Wow, wow, great job. And you, Lisa, oh, woo, you fished my ween right into your mouth. That's exactly how you do it. That's exactly, you did it. You ladies are nailing this. I think... After a few more years of constant testing, and I mean around-the-clock constant testing, you'll be ready to leave God's favorite fuck island and take his message to the world. God's will be done. God, God is good. Uh, flirty fishing, first practiced by members of Berg's inner circle, started in 1974, later introduced to the general membership in 1976 through a series of Mo letters titled King Arthur's Knights. Berg told disciples that sexually transmitted diseases uh, were not to phase members <laughs> around this time. In a Mo letter titled Afflictions, Berg taught that Jesus himself suffered from venereal diseases. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's a little different than traditional doctrine. And that it was part of the sacrifice a disciple endures in order to show love. 
You get it? You're doing God's work when you have herpes. Don't even worry about it. Just put on more lipstick than normal. That cold sore is just a fun reminder that you're doing the Lord's work, Debbie. Praise Jesus for cold sores. Thank God for genital warts. God is good. Incredible. Uh, First David announces that (laughs) this is such a weird episode. Incredible. First David announces that he's taking it on a second wife. Then he starts having orgies with his inner circle and essentially upper management. Then he starts breaking marriages and assigning new ones. Then he turns his compounds into religious orgy centers, big swinger conventions where everyone can fuck anyone. And then now he's having female members start fucking random dudes in an attempt to sway them into joining their movement. I, I, I do have to admit, for a straight guy, he's, he's put together one hell of a sales pitch, right? Like, like, like if Best Buy was going to sell me a, a, a MacBook for 10% less than the Apple Store, I would buy it from Best Buy. But then if the Apple Store was like, hey, listen, hey, come here. We'll match Best Buy's price and we'll let you bang Cindy. All right, Apple. Okay, let's get naked. Let's do some shower. Uh, by 1976, thanks to the beta test of a very effective new recruiting technique, uh, the group claimed to have 725 colonies in 70 countries with 4,215 full-time members, all operating under a hierarchical, 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 Jesus Christ, hierarchical, hierarchical leadership, fuck that word, reporting and tithing upwards in order to receive more letters. With the hippie movement losing its steam after the Vietnam War, Berg ordered his members to focus more on recruiting the educated and privileged classes and less on the dropouts of society. Oh, man, the hippies, they're out now. 1978, Berg redefined, this is true, Berg redefined communion ceremonies as communion, sexual sharing sessions. Do you you get it? It's not communion, it's communion. As if he couldn't get more evil. Now he's, uh, you know, forcing not only dick, but puns on his followers. Puns! Uh, by late 1978, flirty fishing is introduced to all COG members. Some members leave. Um, those who, who stay are expected to participate. Quickly, flirty fishing slides right into outright prostitution with the money female members get for fucking random pain dudes becoming a significant source of income for the church. Uh, this would also be referred to as, I'm not kidding, hooking for Jesus. That's about <laughs> One former member claimed to witness a suitcase of over a million dollars in cash David kept under his bed, and that, that was money he had taken from Flirty Fish. He's a fucking, he's a pimp. Just a straight up pimp. And uh, now that we're talking again about prostitution and, and pimping, not surprisingly, I do hear some footsteps out in the hallway. I hear somebody walking towards the door, and I do smell poultry. Oh, hey, well, if it isn't Chicken Joe. Bob, Bob, Playboy, Bob, Bob. I've been on the wet that whistle, tap that backside, mm, squeeze that nipple, make that money shot, mm, make that panty drop, mm, make some dough rise on top, play that skin game. Walking on the street, selling that meat, making that green. I know saint, no good man, no role model. Just straight hustlers selling tight ass for cold cash, but never gonna get kids in the mix, don't deal with that. Certainly don't mix my dirty beers with the Lord's jizz, you hear, you dig, you feel me. Ain't no room for a chicken in the Lord on the same block. Squawk, squawk, bop, bop, playboy, bop, bop. Now that was Chicken Joe speak for even a pimp such as himself, finds mixing religion and prostitution and the sexualization of, of minors absolutely morally reprehensible. Oh, and oh shit, we have someone else uh, stopping by. What is big deal? What, you have hard on for Chicken Joe now? You no longer like Slut Shamecock. You no longer like Russell. A Russell skinned a chicken man to death. I chuck Playboy with cock cock so no one hears stupid bark bark. Again, fuck Chicken Joe. He one trick pony. Chico Tilo have dips. Chico Tilo love communism. And love wrestling. And stalking in public. I'm multifaceted, mysterious individual. I go now. You know, forget me. 
I be back, 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 fucking back. Wow, man, things are getting weirder than ever. So confusing for new listeners. We have characters who drop in from time to time, and now we have uh, one morally repugnant imaginary character feeling threatened by a slightly less morally repugnant character. Speaking of morally repugnant characters, let's talk more about David Burke. Nailed that segue! Fucking out of the park! Burke's new practice of blatant prostitution brings more unwanted attention from the press as U.S. authorities and authorities in other countries now want to question him about running a prostitution ring. And by, I just have to get this out of my head. I can only imagine what the neighbors in this office building think when they hear the screaming I do in certain episodes about the most nonsensical and horrific shit. They, ah, no wonder they won't make eye contact with me in the halls. Flirty fishing also results in the birth of many children referred to by David as Jesus babies. By 1991, over 300 have been born, including Karen Zerby, a.k.a. Maria, a.k.a. David, uh, David's mistress's son. Uh, they would call him David Tito. Or Davito, it's like some fucking weird. They just added Ito to David. It's dumb. Uh, AKA Rick Rodriguez. A lot of kids were born to random fathers inside and out of the cult because David also had outlawed, uh, excuse me, outlawed birth control. Years later, sadly, 2001, this poor Jesus baby, this Rick Rodriguez, would leave the children of God. That's not the sad part. Uh, head to Tucson, Arizona in 2005, looking for his mom and current church leader, Maria. Wouldn't find his mom. Would find 29-year-old, uh, uh, 29-year-old uh, associate of his mom's, a woman who had also molested him as a child, uh, as had his mother, he claimed, and many other church members. Uh, he made a video before meeting with his lady that he mailed to a friend in which he stated that he just couldn't take it anymore. He couldn't take all these people getting away with what they did. And he was going to do something to stand up, uh, uh, you know, uh, stand up stand up on behalf of all of the children of God kids who had been molested. And he stabbed church member Angela Smith to death, this woman he met with, and then shot himself. Uh, also dying. And and then no one uh, has been punished for his allegations. In in late 1978, in order to take the heat off his compounds and flirty fishing and, and a new focus on cults in the United States in the wake of the Jonestown cults mass suicide in Guyana, David decides to push the movement underground. This is a super weird thing he did here that I, I, I can't think of an equivalent for. Uh, he, he also did this uh, thing he's about to do because a lawsuit of about a million dollars gets uh, thrown against the church by a, by a former member claiming David destroyed his marriage and did irreparable harm to him and his family. Uh, and so he also disbands his church to avoid pain. But, but what he did is he just kind of, he, he dispounds, uh, disbands the compounds and instructs his followers to just infiltrate mainstream society. Like leave the compounds, go out, go out of the suburbs, you know, invade the system, invade the churches. These are quotes, uh, you know, and just, you know, look respectable, take on regular jobs. Uh, and then during this furlough, uh, stay in touch, you know, with uh, with David through the mail by by leaving contact addresses with uh, with a few core members he would have help administer things. So they'd have like one little headquarters. Members living in mainstream society could choose to support David at this time through tithing 10% of their pre-tax income, filling out a form known as a TRF. Uh, TRFers received full uncensored Mo letters, or you could pay just 10 bucks a month and receive only DFO and GP mailings. That is disciples and friends only mailings and general population mailings, but no Mo letters. Or you could find a time machine and pay $0 uh, for a free trial with unlimited access to the, uh, you know, the, the, the content of today's last badass sponsor, The Great Courses Plus. Yes, TimeSec is also brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. Why read David Berg's nonsensical fantasy Mo letters? 
when you can learn about almost anything, including the reality of what was once science fiction with The Great Courses Plus. Science fiction, not only entertaining, it's a window into crucial discussions about the world we live in, ethics, power, social justice, tolerance. And The Great Courses Plus has a brand new course that dives deeply into this called Sci-Fi, and that's S-C-I-P-H-I, Science Fiction is Philosophy, presented by Dr. David Kyle Johnson. I, I, I watched the uh, 36-minute lecture, Westworld and Artificial Intelligence, last night. And it's making me wish I had time today to start watching Westworld series on HBO for a third time. Uh, watch this course and you'll understand the Turing test, the test that uh, determines if a machine is sentient, just like a human. It's the most important test in the world of artificial intelligence and the scientific community's uh, quest to replicate the human mind. Uh, you'll understand various theories regarding how we can understand and identify our own consciousness so that then we can theoretically identify in a mechanical setting. You know, we have the uh, Idiots of the Internet segment coming up right around the corner, and The Great Courses Plus is the true cure to never become an idiot of the Internet. Expand your mind. Learn at your own pace. Follow your curiosity through their vast catalog. Westworld and Artificial Intelligence is a great course to get started on with The Great Courses Plus. Listen to it, then go back and listen to Suck 73 Digital Immortality. It'll make so much more sense. So much brain candy. Or choose from, you know, any of their other fantastic lectures. With The Great Courses Plus, you'll get unlimited access to stream their entire library. Watch or listen at any time from anywhere with The Great Courses Plus app. Uh, I know you're going to love The Great Courses Plus as much as I do. And Time Suckers get a free trial with unlimited access to their entire library of fascinating lectures for free. To get started, sign up today through my special URL, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash timesuck. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash timesuck, link in today's episode description, button in the sponsor section of the newly updated TimeSuck app and website. And now, before we delve back into the Children of God's 1980 game of a uh, new name going underground, but we're going we're gonna to come back and play the same old dirty games, let's see what the web has to say about this cult in today's Idiots of the Internet. Idiots of the Internet. Okay, today, today's video, I looked at 1988-2020 video called To Bring Her Children Home. It's about Vivian Shalanda, a woman who moved to Sioux Falls, South Dakota after escaping from the Children of God cult, uh, originally aired in 1988. Four of her kids at the time of this uh, recording still in the cult, living with uh, um, their father in Bangkok, who's you know still, still part of the Children of God. Gut-wrenching footage of kids brainwashed to hate their mom. Because she left the cult. Terrible stuff showing exactly how evil and destructive the family-destroying aspects of cults can really be. The kids are all sitting in the back of a station wagon, all tightly gripping Bibles, weeping and freaking out when their mom tries to take them home. Because they think leaving the cult means they're going to go to hell. They think their, their mom is trying to destroy their souls. They're beyond traumatized. One of the kids in the video would later take his own life as a young adult. Um, and so after that, you know, people watch this video. Let, let's open up the comments with, with classic Captain Obvious. Uh, a Captain Obvious post from Charlotte Cole, who after seeing all this writes, this cult damaged people. Uh-huh. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for noticing that. Pretty sure everyone picked up on that with the several minutes of children wailing and shrieking. Solid observation, Charlotte. Man, nothing gets past you. And Charlotte's not done. She comments again a short time later, adding, cults are so dangerous. Ah, another home run, Charlotte, out of the park. What gems are you holding back? What thoughts aren't you posting? These people did some naughty stuff. Kids should not, all caps, be molested. Hurting people is, in fact, not good. You shouldn't harm people, adults, or kids. It is not nice if you stop to think about it. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, Angela Schoenfeld uh, wrote something that made me laugh way too hard. Uh, <laughs> she wrote, I met them in the 90s, and when God made me read by accident one of their teaching books, I ran away as fast as I could. They are hippies playing Christians, and there's lots of anger and sarcasm against established religions in their hearts. I just love when God made me read by accident one of their books. <laughs> what? God God made you—he made you read it, but by accident? What is— Huh? Oh, that makes no sense. I just picture Angela, like, saying weird stuff to, like, blame things uh, on God. Angela, did you take my money? It was laying right here on the table. God, did you accidentally make me think someone else's money was mine again? Oh, God. Stop accidentally tricking me. Angela, how could you? I thought I thought you might be having an affair, but really, in our bed, in front of me? God, why did you make me accidentally sit on this dick? I accidentally thought this man was my husband. I'll stop. Uh, Sylvia Sims is against what the children of God did with these uh, kids, but she has a very weird way of saying it. She writes, the name of this cult could have been children of pedophilia. Uh, David was grooming some sexy nine-year-olds. What? Huh? <laughs> did you just say sexy nine-year-old Sylvia? I'm I'm pretty sure that sexy is an adjective that should never be followed by nine-year-old. Cute, adorable, pretty. Those are good. Even beautiful is okay. Maybe, maybe from the right person, even gorgeous. But sexy? Ah, nah. If uh, if you think a nine-year-old is truly sexy, then on some level, uh, you're probably a pedophile. Or you just don't understand what the word sexy means. It means sexually attractive or sexually arousing, as in... I want to have sex with that sexy person, hence not a kid ever. All right, now one more. This one, <laughs> this one made me laugh. Maybe I was just loopy from being uh, late, late, up late last night, but user Michael Perry, today's true idiot, in my opinion, he first signals this by using only capital letters and literally zero punctuation. To me, that's almost always the hallmark of a fucking maniac. When it's up, gonna, caps lock, pressed. Periods, commas, uh-uh, don't care for them. And then he just writes, lots of parents usually teach their kids crap like McDonald's is the real way of life anyway. Now, remember, this is under this whole video about kids being molested and a parent trying to save their kids. Okay. Uh, There's one reply, and it's almost as if I wrote it myself. User Aubrey Lane writes, you're comparing a cult with child rape to taking kids to McDonald's. Surely I'm misunderstanding you. I don't think you are, Aubrey. It's because he has no punctuation, uh, you know, skills and he's very poor sentence structure. It's, it's a little confusing, but I do think he's doing exactly that. I think he's trying to make this point like, oh, okay, so people are mad about this cult fucking molesting kids, but no one's mad about McDonald's. It's the same thing. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know for sure that, it's, that that's what he meant because he didn't post again, but, but there, you know, again, there's a 30-minute video. Uh, about saving kids from a cold base and sexual abuse, and your reaction to that is, yeah, okay, maybe that's not cool, but neither is McDonald's. Best case, you're an idiot who passionately hates fast food and thinks that kids shouldn't just eat at McDonald's, which I do totally agree with, but your comparison is pretty ridiculous. Like, like if you pull off the freeway and there were two businesses with drive through windows and you could pull your van into either one, one is McDonald's and the other one is a weird, like, you know, Chucky kid fuckers, like some horrible business, where you just pull into the drive-thru and then you just push you just push your kid out your window into the drive-thru window or, or somebody just – a stranger just grabs them and pulls them into this place, molests them, and then throws them back in your car or van or whatever. And you're like, I don't know where I should go. Which one is worse? I mean if you think about it, they're both the same amount of bad. You should have your kids taken away for, forever. 
Take them to McDonald's in that situation every fucking time. Let them have four Oreo McFlurries, two extra large fries, and a large Mountain Dew for breakfast. That's still a way better meal for a kid than a grown man's balls. You fucking idiot of the internet. Idiots of the internet. Okay, okay, now we're back. Now we're back to today's timeline. Uh, talking about people who make it to the internet look like the best people in the history of Earth. We're back to 1980. Remember, he's pushed his movement underground. He's been building all the weird sex stuff. He's getting in trouble. So David Berg's like, all right, let's let's go, let's go covert for a while. Go out there, you know, infiltrate the suburbs, pretend to be normal people, and just keep in touch with me via letters and donations. Uh, well, then in 1980, after so after a short break, they reform. They reform now. He just had to like disband for a little bit, get rid of the name, you know, dissolve the LLC. Now they're the family of love. And now, and the practice of flirty fishing continues, but but done more covertly now. Also in 1980, a radio station run by members called Music with Meaning is launched in Greece that asked members to sign up for a fan club. And the fan club is just a gateway to becoming a member of the family of love, a.k.a. the children of God. And the Greek family uh, love group starts really experimenting with with more uh, or, or more with deviant sexuality, having regular orgies in addition to partner swapping and flirty fishing and also now blatant pedophilia. With Berg teaching members actively how to sexualize children. And instead of everyone finally waking up and killing him, membership supposedly grows to about 12,000 members worldwide. He writes from this time uh, uh, about his, his growing sexual interest in children. He writes, the only way to get free of the devil and his lies and his prohibitions and guilt complexes about sex is to get rid of his lies and his lying propaganda, his anti-sex propaganda, and believe the Lord and his word and his creation and God's love and his freedom. That there is nothing in the world at all wrong with sex as long as it's practiced in love. Whatever it is or whoever it's with, no matter who or what age or what relative or what manner. And you don't hardly dare even say these words in private. If the law ever got a hold of this, they would try to spring me up. (laughs) Yeah, fucking they should have. They would probably lynch me before I got to jail. Mm -hmm. Uh, When Paul said, all things are lawful unto me. But all things are not expedient. First Corinthians six twelve. He was as good as saying, "I can indulge in any kind of sex I want to." <laughs> what? How did you get that? But I've got to watch out for the system because it's against the law. Think about. Let's just repeat that again. This is how he interprets this verse. When Paul said, "All things are lawful unto me," but all things are not expedient. He what he really said was, "Let's fuck some kids." What he really said was, I can indulge in any kind of sex I want to, but I've got to watch out for the system. What in the fuck? Okay. And, uh, and then he says, we are free in privacy, and that's about all. And we mightn't be free if they discovered what we do in private. There are no relationship restrictions or age limitations in his law of love. If you hate sex, you are one of the devil's crowds. If you think it's evil, then God and love are evil, for he created it. Come on, let's love and enjoy it like God does. He loves it. There's words. Holy shit, man. There should be no age restrictions on sex. And if you have a problem with that, you're one of the devil's crowd. This guy just kept doubling down on being an insane creep. Just totally rationalizing his own early childhood sexual abuse by not only normalizing it, but but by making it the the one true way to express God's love. And you're satanic if you don't do it. Unreal. And then over the next decade and a half from 1980 to 1994, while Berg is in his 60s and early 70s, he continues to write his Mo letters. The group continues to hide him. You know, cover for him. His compounds and communes pop up, go away. Uh, leadership operates from unknown locations. Prostitution continues. Kids continue to be molested, etc. 
Finally, on October 1st, 1994, 75-year-old Berg dies in Portugal of natural causes, and his longtime mistress, Maria, a.k.a. Karen Zerbe, takes over as leader. She remains, as far as I or the internet knows, the leader of the church to this day. She lives in hiding. She also issues occasional prophecies from God, and even did so when David was still alive. In 1986, she uh, forbade sexual contact between adults and minors, making it punishable by excommunication now. But based on testimony of ex-members, this appears to be complete bullshit, just done for show. In an interview that came out in January of 2018, former member Don Watson said that she escaped from the cult now known as the Family International in 2005. So long after this denouncement of sex, you know, almost a decade later, uh, she escaped when she's 13. And she said, as you learn to brush your teeth as children, we learn to have sex. That is what you have to do. This is how it happens. We learned God is love and the way to express God's love is through sexuality. I never knew anything different from that. I think that no one will truly understand unless you have lived it, what abuse is. And abuse, I say in all forms, abuse sexually, abused emotionally, and abused spiritually. In another interview that surfaced in Scotland in May of 2018, just this past May, a different survivor spoke for the first time about the abuse she suffered while growing up in the notorious Children of God sect. Verity Carter said she was repeatedly raped and abused, forced onto the streets to trick people into donating money, and taught how to conceal her torment from social workers and teachers. Verity, now a 38-year-old Edinburgh mother, said, My earliest memories are from the age of four being abused by my own father. He would touch me and kiss me in a way that made me feel so uncomfortable. I would cry and beg him not to. If I complained, I was told that I must have a demon inside of me because sex was love, and love was what God wanted us to show each other. I was not even old enough to go to school at that point, but there was far worse to come. Verity was brought up until the age of 15 in the Children of God, meaning her abuse continued up until the year 2000, right? Almost a decade and a half after Maria's don't touch kids anymore bullshit uh, press release that she gave back in 1986. Uh Verity said, my father at least did not rape me. He would often even be kind to me. The worst abuses, the rapes, and numerous sexual assaults came from others within the communes we were forced to live in around Scotland, right under the noses of the authorities. I can remember all their faces still, but the cult was very clever. Most did not use their real names. They used names they were uh, given, usually biblical, like that whole Moses David bullshit. Our homes were filled with pornographic pictures and teachings from Grandpa David. Ugh, how creepy is that? Grandpa David. Teaching, teaching the kids about sex. The systemites were never to see them or we were warned we would all be taken away from our families, put into children's homes, and probably murdered. We were just children, but we were told it was our responsibility if our cover was blown. We had to present ourselves to the public at all times as happy, smiley children who loved God, nothing else. If anyone asked, we were told to say we loved God and we wanted to be missionaries. The truth was that unspeakable things were being done to us in the name of a perverted old man cashing in on the money we'd be sent out to collect most days. On a good day, and this is just not the this is not the flirty fishing, this is just begging. On a good day, I would collect up to 400 pounds by smiling and just asking people if they love God. I was too young and naive to question it, but I wonder where all the millions of pounds collected all over the world ended up. Verity was only briefly sent to school. Cult leaders feared teachers would discover what was going on, and if an inspector was called, uh, you know, to their community, incriminating evidence might be, you know, found. So uh, they they would hide it all in advance. She said she was taken out of school because the elders thought I might blurt out something or bring unwanted attention. My mother taught me, and we'd get home visits from inspectors, but they were woefully inadequate. We'd know when the inspectors were coming. All the pornographic books would be hidden away. We'd be cleaned up and rehearsed, uh, told what to say until uh, we had it perfectly memorized. The school inspectors, social workers, and doctors who all saw us were fooled. Nobody seemed to want to ask questions and risk something that might upset our religion. 
None of us dared say anything that would cause concern or would be beaten and punished for weeks. How fucked up is that? This the weird like uh, side effect of politically correct culture where it's like, uh, oh, you know, they might offend what our religion. Fuck your religious beliefs. If your religious beliefs are exploitive, fuck you and fuck everything you believe in. I make fun of, uh, you know, certain destructive aspects of religions aggressively on stage as a stand-up. And, and I wish more people would. But there's this weird cultural thing where it's like, well, everybody has a right to their ideas. Yeah, well, a lot of people's ideas are fucking super dumb and should be shit on on a regular basis. Right? There, this isn't some weird thing where everybody's ideas are equally valid. Some people are far fucking dumber than other people. Some people are far more destructive and sick than other people. And, uh, yeah, that's why we have, like, law enforcement. <laughs> that's why we have, we, have, we have critical reasoning abilities to realize that their ideas suck. And we, and we should tell them so. Like, no, man, it's fucked up. You want to you wanna believe in, you know, this fairy tale? Okay, you get to believe in that. But you don't get to fuck your kids. And if you do, uh, in my world, we cut your fucking head off. Like, literally public execution. Fuck you. Sorry, I get a little, little angry there. This stuff just infuriates me, these motherfuckers. Uh, the organization responsible for uh, for all that we covered today incredibly still exists, and I wish I could put them in a room and just fucking set a bomb off. Truly. I wish I could just blow them up. Actually, that would be too good of a death for them. Uh, supposedly, the Family International is now an online network of approximately 1,900 people in 80 countries. Regarding tales of alleged abuse, a spokesman said, although the Family International has apologized on a number of occasions to former members for any hurt, and then check out this language, real or perceived, ugh, that they may have experienced during their membership, we do not give credence to tales of institutionalized abuse. Well, of course you're not going to admit it, you pieces of shit. The balls on these people, real or perceived. Ah, since that statement brings us to the present, uh, that is it for today's Time Stuck Timeline. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. Wow, the children of God, man. The sick, twisted fantasy of one man, pedophile David Berg. Moses David brought to life. I uh, I drifted off during that uh, uh, timeline outro to the thoughts of The Punisher, my favorite graphic novel. Just thinking about just, you know, having a big machine gun and just fucking just lighting these motherfuckers up. Shooting out their knees first, you know, just slowly letting them bleed out. Man, ah, I hate them so much. Ah, uh, born when a lot of American cults were born, these people, like the, like the People's Temple with Jim Jones, the Manson family, even Heaven's Gate originally got going in the early 70s. The counterculture hippie revolution, the perfect incubator for a cult. Man, people question the status quo in ways they hadn't before, a generation exceptionally open to new ideas. You know, I worry about that now. As I scour the internet today, I wonder if this generation will see the birth of more cults. I mean, just considering what movements seem to be gaining momentum online, like, like the reptilian elite, not a joke to many. Many believe the Rothschilds and other so-called Illuminati families are, are chemtrailing the poor to death and working with fucking reptiles. The Flat Earth Movement keeps picking up steam. A lot of the comments underneath these videos are posted by religious fundamentalists, and religious fundamentalism is the first cousin of the religious cult. Uh, I mean, just think about it. Take people who are open to ideas and concepts that cannot be explained through science, cannot be empirically proven. People who are religious but don't trust the larger churches of their faith. They're open to alternative interpretations of ancient texts that already exist outside the realm of scientific reason. Interpretations only accepted by a small fraction of the population. To go from that to a true cult, you only have to cut an even smaller slice of an already very small slice of pie that you're already eating. Take someone willing to believe something less than 1% of humanity believes, something that can be proven, and then just have them take another small little leap 
to an even more liberal interpretation of the same text, get someone to believe in the notion of actual prophets, prophets that most people didn't believe in when, when they were alive, and just get them to believe in, in new prophets that most you know people currently denounce. From a logic standpoint, I can see how it's easy to make that jump. Uh, so if you find yourself under the sway of some new charismatic so-called prophet, just, just remember that no matter how convincing they are, no matter how assured they are that they're right, no matter how assured you know others are that they're right, that there were many, many, many before just like them, people equally assured, equally charismatic. And so far, none of them have been proven to be right. Many have been proven to be utter charlatan dirtbags. All right, let's look at one last set of teachings from today's dirtbag. God, I wish he could have died a horrible death. Here's some texts from the May 20, 1988, uh, 1980 DFO-999-MO letter. The devil hates sex, but God loves it. What's so weird about these, if you look them up online, there's a, it, they're like written in this comic book style, complete with these actually very well-illustrated comic book style covers. This one has a cover of Adam and Eve having sex while, while God and the devil watch, and God's super happy just, just being a weird God creeper, watching them have sex, and the devil's like, oh, I don't like it. Uh, I'd read the whole thing, but it would take an hour. Honestly, it's very long. But he, but he starts off, number one, the devil hates and fights sex. Just the opposite of what the church teaches. All his pornography and dirty pictures is to downgrade and belittle sex and literally make it filthy. He belittles and downgrades and contaminates sex and does everything he can against sex because it's just about the most beautiful creation of God. The devil is probably the world's greatest enemy of sex. And for the system churches to have taught that sex was a temptation of Eve in the Garden of Eden is one hell of a goddamn doctrine of the devils. I love that he says goddamn in a uh, Christian, supposedly Christian-based text. Pretty easy to follow, though, so far, right? God doesn't hate sex. Devil hates sex. Devil doesn't want you to enjoy God's craziness. Sex. Sex is great. So far, other than the weird God and devil mumbo-jumbo, you know, I'm in. Okay, sex is good. All right, I'll follow. And then jumping down to 10, he says, what a terrible thing to teach children. From the time they're born, practically, to teach them to hate sex and fear sex and abhor sex and deplore sex and to be ashamed of sex and ashamed of their sexual parts. And no, no, naughty, dirty, hide it, don't ever do that. Okay. Okay, I think I'm still in. Children shouldn't be uh, made to feel ashamed of sex or sexuality. All right, all right, okay, agreed. Why add shame to it? What good comes of that? Then in the letter, his mistress Maria asked him, what about incest? There's all these parentheticals when Maria's asking questions to get him going. Uh... She says, what about incest? That's a big question in the family right now. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, pretty nervous about what his answer might be. David responds uh, saying, it is the most dangerous form of sex and the most prohibited by the system. As far as the system goes and as far as the law goes, it's absolutely taboo, illegal, dangerous. The system and the systemites are so absolutely crazy on the subject, they would practically lynch you and string you up and not even wait for a trial or have you arrested or anything. That's just the way they are. Insane. Well, Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm insane that way, because if I could have, I would love to have strung you up. Just fucking, just cut your head off. Uh, yeah, incest is illegal and taboo. Should be. It weakens the gene pool. You dumb shit. Leads to genetic diseases. Uh, psychologically, incest, super destructive. Destroys families by mixing and muddying the roles and sexualizing people before they're emotionally mature enough to handle sexuality before they're old enough to make proper sexual choices, you dumb shit. Uh... Then David says, it's been so ingrained and indoctrinated in them now for thousands of years, beginning with the Catholic Church. The whole idea being that sex is so wicked and sinful, so vile and horrible, so awful and the worst of sins. So, of course, the worst of all sexual sins is with children. How could you besmirch and defile and violate your own child, an underage minor? Okay, start, starting to really kind of seem to strongly advocate for incest now. Pretty creepy. Uh, and he says, I don't know what the hell age has to do with it when God made them and able to enjoy it practically from the time they're born. But though God don't didn't count them 
as underage to have sexual feelings and sexual responses and sexual nerves and sexual orgasms from the time they're born. I don't, I don't think kids have orgasms from the time they're born. The system prohibits them from having them until they're 18 to 21 years of age. I think biology prohibits them from having that until they're older. And my God, don't you ever dare talk about incest. It's almost a word you don't even hardly pronounce in private, much less engage in it. You can't even teach your own children about sex. When he says that, you can't even teach your own children about sex. What he's actually saying is you can't even fuck your own kids. What's the word coming to? He even sneaks in a little shout out to Flirty Fish in the letter saying sex certainly can prove true love. And if true love exists, it proves the existence of God and God is love. And that's been the whole appeal of our flirty fishing is to prove to these men that love exists and therefore God exists and they prove it by sex. Praise God. Ah, oh, it's his words there. David isn't objectifying women. He's not degrading them to mere sexual playthings when he's telling them God wants them to be prostitutes and then living off the money he makes like the fucking pimp he was. Now he's showing them God's love. That's all. Just showing men God's love. Glory to God. What a swell fellow. Uh, he wraps up with, if you hate sex, you are one of the devil's crowd. If you think it's evil, then God and love are evil. For he created it. Come on, let's love it and enjoy it like God does. He loves it. Wow. And David said all this to people who believed every word he said was God's word. Man, and I thought Rasputin was a creep. I thought Jim Jones was a creep. I mean, well, they were. They were creeps. You know, Manson was a creep. But uh, even though even though David never killed anyone, he, he may be creepier than those assholes. Okay. Enough, Berg. Almost... Time for today's top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, David Berg founded his cult that would become known mostly by the name of Children of God in Huntington Beach, California in 1968. And it's still around today, despite his past in 1994, known as the Family International. Number two, the controversial aspects of Berg's cult largely revolve around the sexual practices of the members. David first took himself a second wife, then participated in orgies with high-ranking church members, then introduced wife-swapping and destroyed sexual monogamy within the group, then introduced flirty fishing, reducing female members who were already sexually servicing any male members who wanted to be serviced, who were already raising the cult's children and doing all the cooking and cleaning, you know, from, uh, from interviews I watched, to prostitutes and the cult's main source of income. Number three. Incredibly, despite consistent allegations from numerous former members of rape, molestation, prostitution within the group, no high-profile member of the Church of God has ever been sent to prison for any significant sex crime-related charge. Number four, David declared himself God's prophet, and his main role was to help usher in the end of days, which was supposed to happen in 1989. And then 1989 came and went, and he didn't die. How do cults keep going when their leader blows the end of days prediction? Man, these guys are good at manipulation. You know, like most cult leaders, Berg would have made a hell of a salesman. I guess, I guess really he was a hell of a salesman. And number five, new info. Uh, several celebrities spent time in the Children of God cult, either as children or as adults. Joaquin Phoenix was in the cult until he was four years old. His family actually took the last name of Phoenix to celebrate a new beginning once they got out of the Children of God cult. Uh, Joaquin's older brother, River, was eight when the family left. River, childhood star of Stand By Me, one of my favorite movies as a kid, adult star of My Own Private Idaho, uh, before he died in West Hollywood from a drug overdose at the age of 23, spoke of being forced to have sex within the group at only four years old. Rose McGowan, prominent voice in the Me Too movement, Harvey Weinstein accuser, actress in Scream and Jawbreaker, many more film and TV projects, including appearing on the WB's Charmed for six years, ex-fiance of Marilyn Manson, grew up in the cult, uh, said her mother taught her to serve men in all areas. She claimed in an interview with People magazine that David Burke spread a message that God made children able to enjoy sex. 
Uh, McGowan said, when the cult got wind of certain members wanting to leave, one of their children might disappear or some family would get severe punishment uh, meted out to them as a way of teaching the others. Uh, Rose has two half-siblings as a result of the group's free love policies. Her dad led an Italian uh, Children of God compound. They uh, they left the cult when Rose was five in 1978 when Berg began to advocate more strongly that whole, uh, you know, having sex with kids is cool kind of ethos. Uh, finally, Jeremy Spencer, one of the original members of Fleetwood Mac, abruptly left the band in 1971 before his show at the famous Whiskey A Go-Go on the Sunset Strip ended up joining the cult. He's supposed to have a show that night at the Whiskey Go-Go. He walks to the Hollywood bookstore that afternoon, um, one afternoon, uh, meets some cult members, and then just leaves with them. Didn't go to his own concert that night. Uh, should be noted that uh, this was all this all happened after he uh, had an admittedly fragile mental state following a bad mescaline trip. Well, this mescaline trip just fucking really detoured his life. He moves to Florida, starts a new band called Jeremy Spencer and the Children. Gross name, considering what we'll learn about him and what we learned today already. Moved to Brazil in 1975, Italy in 1977, lived in the Philippines in the 80s, lived in India in the 90s, then Ireland, Germany. He's still in the cult, working as a story writer and illustrator for some of their literature. Uh, this uh, alleged piece of shit inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1998. Not surprisingly, a number of pedophilia allegations waged against Jeremy over the years. Information about some of these allegations can be found in court documents from Argentina and the United Kingdom. Uh, in published statements, sworn affidavits, court testimony by his first wife, and a number of people raised in the family, children of God, who alleged he sexually assaulted them during their childhood. In 1982, Spencer's first wife publicly accused him of statutory rape, also alleged that she and Spencer had found adults willing to sexually share their older children. Uh, in 1992, child custody case, three people testified under oath that he sexually assaulted them, otherwise sexually abused them when they were kids. In 2005, a number of people provided sworn affidavits alleging child sexual abuse by Spencer to an FBI office in San Diego. The FBI investigation of Spencer uh, ended in 2006 because the statute of limitations had expired for the alleged criminal offenses uh, that he was charged with. Currently is still recording albums and touring. I do not think I will be buying any of that piece of shit's albums or attending any of his shows. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Crazy, right? Crazy, crazy, man. The children of God's been sucked. Ah, if only they weren't still around. Amazing how much evil shit has been perpetrated against humanity because of boners, right? This whole cult all started because of the way one dude wanted to get rid of his boners. I'm simplifying it, but but not by much. I wasn't able to read and uh, uh, read this book in time for preparation, but numerous suckers, including my kid's grandma uh, via their stepdad, Diane Rosentrader, also a time sucker, uh, recommended a book called Not Without My Sister, The True Story of Three Girls Violated and Betrayed by Those They Trusted. It was written by Christina Jones, Celeste Jones, and Juliana Buring, three girls raised within and sexually, physically, and emotionally abused by the so-called church. So if you want further reading, do that. If you don't have time for that, watch a Netflix documentary called Children of God. Uh, it's actually a, a documentary that existed prior to Netflix that Netflix picked up. It's all, uh, about an hour long. Uh, big thanks to Time Suck Team, High Priestess of the Suck, Harmony Velocamp, Jesse Guardian of Gram Grammar, <laughs> Dobner, uh, Reverend Dr. Joe Paisley, Time Suck High Priest, Alex Dugan, the Bit Elixir Team, Danger Brain, Space Lizards, and Merch Wizards, Access Apparel, Queen of the Suck, and Boss of Damn Near Anything, Lindsay Cummins. Thanks to the Space Lizards in general for uh, you know financially supporting the Suck. Big thanks to OG Bojangles Research Assistants, the Lily Twins, for finding so much great info about this cult. Reba and Sarah, hammers of knowledge. 
uh, this Friday, the last bonus episode. I feel like some people thought they were already completely done, but I had committed to one more before I made the decision to pull back to once a week so I can be sane as much as I'm capable of being sane. Um, uh, this Friday, we talked about the history of the, or this Friday, we will talk about the history of the samurai. We'll go through each significant period of samurai history. Fascinating, fascinating stuff, the samurais. Uh, we'll dive especially deep into the lives of one of the most famous samurais born at the end of the 16th century, Miyamoto Musashi. I'm probably butchering his name, but I'll hopefully get it better on Friday. This dude was undefeated in 61 samurai duels. Holy shit. That fucking puts the UFC to shame, man. 61 duels. I'm, I'm guessing those were fights to the death. And he did a lot more than duel. Uh, the rare battle-hardened samurai, uh, you know, also died of natural causes. That's rare. Uh, his story may put some hair on, on your chest, even though, uh, you know, he, being Japanese, probably didn't have any hair on his. Excited to suck him. Excited to suck him. And, and right now, I'm excited to hear from you. It's high time we check in with our community and hear today's Time Sucker updates. Updates. Get your Time Sucker updates. First up, a Time Sucker doing a good deed for another Time Sucker. Man, I always love that. Uh, a time sucker name didn't come in. It just said uh, uncle, just uncle written in the, uh, in the message board it says, dear Dan, Suckmeister general pedagogue of pronunciation and a good bloke. Uh, this is the ultimate accolade an Australian can bestow was introduced to the suck by a good mate called JD. He's actually a bit of a bastard, but is very good to his mom. Evan realized I was twisted and depraved enough to appreciate the ghastly information schlong inserted into me by your quality offering. Just listen to the Bud Dwyer suck. I thought that was a fucked situation until you read out that story of Stephen Morrison, who was assaulted outside work. In a demonstration of the brotherly love instilled among space lizards, and to gather some karma points for shit I shouldn't be laughing at, <laughs> I, I should like to pay for this fine gentleman's ticket to the Grand Rapids show you mentioned. I shall pay in whatever American pesos or ducats or whatever you sepals use these days. Make it so. Hail Nimrod, praise Bojangles, and fuck Poland. That's hilarious. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you, uh, mysterious uncle, just uncle. Very kind offer. Steven, if you're listening, check your email. I, I forwarded you uh, the email from uncle, just uncle, so you so you two can work it all out. Very cool. Whoever you are, uncle, you're a good bloke too. Thank you and hail Nimrod. Uh, next up, Sheridan Prince spreading the suck to Japan just in time for the samurai sucks. So, so everyone there can realize I can't pronounce Japanese word for shit. Sheridan writes, time suck has invaded Japan. Greetings, oh suck master. I just wanted to share a couple things with you. First, I just finished the Bud Dwyer suck, and holy shit, my mind was blown. I was a teenager when this event occurred, and I remember it like it was yesterday, as it was the first time I had ever witnessed someone dying in real life. I'd always assumed incorrectly that this guy must have been crooked and was taking the coward's way out to avoid paying for his crimes, but I will be damned if I wasn't completely wrong. As a husband and father, I have mad respect for him and his decision to sacrifice himself to provide for his family after being wrongly convicted. I could only hope to be as courageous as this man if I were ever found in a similar situation. Second, as the title of this rant stated, Time Suck has invaded Japan. My wife, daughter, and I recently spent the weekend in Los Angeles with my wife's cousin who lives in Japan. She was here for a few days on a business trip. I told her about the suck and how much I loved it. Yes, thank you. On her flight back to Japan, she decided to give it a try, and now she is hooked. Banzai, suck master. Your faithful follower and suck, Sheridan. And I love how you wrote pronounced like burden. Thank, thank you, Sheridan. Because you know if you didn't write that, I would, I would have been, Sheridan, Sheridan, Sheridan. Well, thank you, Sheridan. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I too assumed incorrectly that Bud Dwyer was an obviously corrupt politician who just got caught. And, uh, you know, obviously I was wrong as well. 
And uh, and I too, you know, from the facts I read, ended up with just a ton of respect for the sacrifice he made for his family, which I know can be, you know, controversial to say that. But man, sometimes, you know, there really are no easy choices. Life is not a Disney movie. That's for sure. Uh, next, a bit of an immigration update from a Spokane, Washington sucker. Dennis Cuspert writes in, thank you for the uh, little uh, phonetic thing too. Uh, Dennis writes, proud owner of the fantasy football team, the Green River Clean Wings. Uh, Danny Cusper from, from Spokane. I have an immigration update. I think illegal immigration is a problem. A wall isn't an answer. I don't know what is, but we do need to keep uh, keep America safe. America was built for immigrants and refugees. We're the land of the fucking free. I love immigrants, and I love that those uh, asshole anti-Asian bans were lifted because if not, a young Thai man wouldn't have made his way to America looking for a better life. Then ended up knocking boots with a young woman from Missouri. If that never happened, my beautiful wife wouldn't be alive. Even though she hates Chicken Joe. What? Love you, babe. Why does she hate it? Space lizard and former car rental agent, Denny Cuspert. Uh, P.S. Here come the spoons. Or no, here come the keys, motherfucker. <laughs> Keep on sucking. Funny. Uh, I agree, Denny. Something needs to be done. What a big old expensive wall. The Border Patrol agents will tell you probably is going to work. Probably isn't it. A wall or barricade maybe in some you know neighborhoods and stuff. Probably not a bad idea. And I know we already have that. We already have fence line there. Such a tough problem. You know, I, I find it interesting that while some of you for sure disagree with my assessments, which is good and, and natural, no one has sent in a, holy shit, buddy, this is definitely the answer email, which I think just speaks to how truly complicated that matter really is, you know? Just a very, very tough issue. And finally, awesome spider story from Space Lizards, Parker and Karen Mitchell. I love these kind of stories. Well, 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 suck master. I guess it isn't just enough to try and pull the classic gotcha with ridiculous facts anymore. My wife and I listened to your podcast on immigration last night, and you got her going for a few seconds with the Roanoke Brown Recluse. Uh, TMD, time suck misdirection. But after you ramped up the craziness with the hypothesis that all the bodies were gone because people were trying to swim away from these horrifying spiders and drowned, she called you out. No sooner had she sounded her bullshit detector and thrown off her blanket to go get a glass of water than an enormous fucking spider appears, seemingly out of nowhere. On the blanket, she just threw off herself. <laughs> I literally had to smash it with the phone that was still playing Time Suck since I had nothing else to kill it with on hand. It's a bit poetic, I guess. Killed it by the very thing that summoned it. I don't know what kind of deal you made with Lucifina to get your warlock spider summoning powers, but fucking damn it, man. Not cool, Suck Master. All I can hope for is the next time you try and do a TMD, the anti-magic shell I placed around my house will keep the flying bears, killer bees, the size of a tire, Land-based sharks, ooh, yeah, or whatever else your beautifully deranged mind cooks up as a misdirect away from us. Thought you might enjoy hearing the fruits of your summoning efforts. Yeah, I did. I also wanted to say that you did an excellent job in the immigration episode, making sure that all the coherent and reasonable arguments from each side of the issue were presented, which is more than can be said for most news sources these days, right? Which is a bummer. That is sad. Uh, keep up the good work. Can't wait to see you again next time. You make it to Salt Lake. Bring three XL shirts again. Knowledge and Nimrod, Parker, and Carlin Mitchell. Oh, well, thank you, too. Gotta love the spider stories. That was a good one. Using the phone, blasting out spider lies to actually kill a spider. It's too good. It's too good. Hey, Lucifina. Uh, look forward to seeing you again in, uh, in Salt Lake City. Love that town. I got to hit up Red Iguana next time I'm, I'm back there. Best enchiladas ever. Thanks for playing, you guys. Thanks for playing. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. That's all until Friday. Space Lizards get so much content this week. Three shows. Uh, and yeah, so I guess, you know, that's all for you guys until Thursday. And you can listen to all on the Just Updated Again app. Try it out if you haven't used it in a while. Hail Nimrod. 
Uh, don't start or join any cults this week based on or heavily involved in pedophilia or prostitution. Keep your weens and vaginas and souls clean and keep on sucking. <laughs> Fucking out of the park. The legends are true. With overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you suddenly had an extra hour show up in your day every day, what would you do with it? Work out, sleep, read a book, play Fortnite, call your mom, take judo lessons, finally watch all the episodes of Shameless. A lot of us spend a lot of our time wishing we had more time. But why? Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The bad news is that you're not going to get that 25th hour. But what you can probably do is reprioritize where you spend some of your time. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it with your time. This year, my health is more important to me than cranking out another stand-up special as fast as possible. So I canceled a tour, sacrificed that income, and decided to spend a lot of the time I just got back working out more, resting more, relaxing more, and enjoying time with family, friends, and just myself. And I'm so glad I did. I feel better than I have in a long time. And my BetterHelp therapist, Debbie, was very helpful in getting me to make the decision to pull back. Thank you, Debbie. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TimeSuck today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TimeSuck.